Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, a show where we will learn from today's global leaders that will dominate the 21st century in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Today, I bring you a special episode featuring my live conversation at Money 2020 with Christy Kim, co-founder and CEO of Tomo Credit, and Justin Howell, co-founder and CEO of Rise. To get us started, I sit down with Christy Kim, where we explore building a FICO-free underwriting model, how the challenges of her U.S. immigrant journey drove Christy to launch Tomo, a next-generation credit card catered to young adults, students, and immigrants, the intersection of crypto and credit building, and why Tomo Credit is launching crypto features and using crypto wallet data to improve their underwriting decisions for clients, and what Christy considers to be the hardest part and the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur. Well, Christy, how are you? Welcome. How are you today? We're at, we're at Money 2020, by the way. So this is in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Thank you for having me. So should I dive in? Yeah, me let's, about Tomo? Let's, let's hear it. You know, <laughs> let's, let's hear more about Tomo Credit. If you want, we can also hear a bit about your story. Yes. Um, so I love the fact that you are also an immigrant. So I came here from Seoul, South Korea when I was 11. And I didn't know anything about FICO or U.S. Credit Bureau system. I thought that I was a great student, you know. I did well at school and I didn't have any loan or any debt. But when I was graduating and then got my first job, I realized that I had no credit score and that was a big problem because I couldn't get an auto loan. So I got rejected from auto loan more than five times. So I bought my car with cash. So that was ridiculous because I had money saved in my bank account. And I, I was... Mean, you, you could buy it in cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I had a job. I, well, my first job was investment banking. So I thought to myself, well, if lenders don't want to give me money, who was a good student and who had a full-time job, who else do, I, do they want? And the answer was, they just want people with credit score. Doesn't matter you know, how much money you have, credit score is the most important criteria for you to be eligible to get a loan. And I thought that that's very outdated way of thinking because there are more than 30 to 40 million people in the U.S., do not necessarily have FICO score, but they have good jobs or they have good job potential and they do have money in their bank account. So I wanted to build a product to help them to get started. And I guess that 30 to 40 million number is not just international students or immigrants, right? It's also the credit invisibles in the U.S. Yes, good point. So... International and immigrant population, as we know that they are coming into the country every single year. So that's 
always like fresh a group of people coming in and on top of that we do have a large portion of college students and generation g gen g right now do not have credit score they are not international but they happen to have no credit score yet because they are young and they never had to borrow that's why the group of thin file or no file is growing every single year in the u.s yeah and and so at this point you've been going at it for a good number of years, right? Tell us about some of the achievements and highlights that that you're most proud of in your journey so far. I am really, really uh, proud of my team. Uh, My team members, 90% of them are international to begin with. And we all lived through pain points of not having a credit score and getting underestimated. I always tell people that when you don't have a credit score, you are basically underestimated because they don't want to approve you. They don't want to look at your application. Uh, We worked really hard in the first couple of years, and we happened to be the first company to issue fully unsecured credit card without looking at your FICO. And we are giving credit limit as high as $10,000 to $20,000. So... We made it possible because we know the pain point so well and we wanted to help our customers as soon as possible. And now, whenever I go back to UC Berkeley, uh, my old school, I'm very happy if I see students uh, who are using Tomo Credit and tell me that they are happy that they got approved. That's awesome. That's, uh, going back to your roots, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, at the same time, although you've been doing this for a good number of years, this is early days, right? And I'm sure you feel like this is day zero. Yeah. Uh, what's what's ahead, you know, for, for Tomo Credit, but also for the credit industry, I guess, in the US, since this is your market? Yeah, definitely. Now, it's just a starting point. We are at stage zero. Uh, there are so many opportunities. And Tomo Credit, we happen to be the early mover, like a first mover in the market. We are starting with a credit card. So when you apply to Toma Credit, we don't pull your FICO data at all. And you can get approved within two minutes and get $10,000 in credit limit. So we start with credit card. And then as our customers grow in their income power and purchasing power, we want to offer other products that can be like auto loan, that can be mortgage. So we continue to serve our customers and we will have data advantage compared to legacy lenders because we have your data and we've been collecting the data while you are using our Tomo card. And this business model benefits both customers and Tomo because customers get the credit card they want by sharing their data and Tomo is giving them high credit limit and we both advance together as a customer and a company. So I guess it's uh, expanding through adjacencies is what you Exactly, say. yeah. And, and so regulation is very important. It's actually, in many cases, what has created the current environment and ecosystem. Are you consulting, working with regulators? Uh, you know, how important is this piece for, for Tomo? Yeah, I spend lots of time talking to regulators and it's fascinating because regulators are people and they see the need to help accredit invisible people. So I think 
they understand the needs. Every single year, I feel like they become more and more flexible in adopting new technology and allowing new technology to be used for underwriting. So in that sense, I see a lot of hope and I'm quite optimistic that eventually in the future, like five to 10 years, more and more companies will do no FICO underwriting like Tomo is doing as of today. So I think that's a perfect segue because you talk about new technologies. I know that you are, uh, you know, enthusiasts of crypto and digital assets, right? Uh, where, where's the intersection between crypto and credit, building credit and credit scoring? So fun fact is that before I started Tomo Credit, I was working at a crypto hedge fund in Hong Kong and I rejoined to start Tomo Credit. All right. And my thinking was that I loved crypto. That was 2016, 17, entering 18. I saw a lot of money and a lot of, I mean, smart people trying to do something. And I was wearing an investor hat. I was meeting founders to see which company we want to invest. And after maybe investing 20 companies or so within like six months, <laughs> I felt like, oh, okay. But I don't see any of them actually helping any of customers next year. That was kind of the epiphany that, oh, shit, you know, it's good mission and big dreams, but I don't think they can actually build something to help my friends or students in college right now. So that's why I decided to build Tomo Credit. And my thinking was, I will build and launch something next year, within one year, that can actually be helpful for younger version of myself. So people in their 20s in college right now. So we did that in the very beginning. We didn't think about crypto. We just focused on building a FICO-free underwriting. And then now we are adding crypto features. What that means is that, let's say you have crypto, not just cash. You can add your crypto wallet and show us that you have X amount of money in your crypto wallet. And we can use the data to increase your credit limit or approve you despite the fact that you don't have a lot of cash. I love it. So you're, you're bridging both two passions, I guess. Yeah, I'm connecting crypto lovers and traditional credit card industry, like bridging the gap because I have many, many friends who have a lot of asset in crypto who made a lot of money from crypto but didn't want to liquidate it. And they don't have a lot of cash and they don't have a credit score. Last question before we let you go, Christy. So you've been an entrepreneur for a while now. Tell us about the hardest part of being a founder and also, I guess, uh, the best part, the most rewarding part. So the hardest part is probably the fact that it's 24-7. You are always on. And I try my best to like have some downtime <laughs> and meditate, yoga. But the reality is you want to give 100% that you have uh, because fintech is growing fast. And I see lots of excitement from our users, investors, and audience, and I want to deliver. So that's the hard part that I cannot really stop and relax. <laughs> but the rewarding part is that I can see the satisfactions from our customers. And that's the best part of running a consumer startup. Today, you have one customer 
and next week you can have 10,000 customers and after that you can have 1 million customers and they tell you what they like about your product what they don't like about your product it's like so you feel like your company is living and breathing with your customer base and keep evolving so it doesn't feel like oh it's a set product and it's done but that's really exciting part love it love it well Chrissy thank you so so much for joining and you know I'm gonna be watching very very closely because I know uh, Tom was going places and now that you're in Vegas I hope you get to you know relax and enjoy a little bit and party a little bit <laughs> well amazing um, to talk to you and yeah I'm gonna talk at the credit card innovation session at 420 come Excellent. check it out well, yeah. amazing thank you <laughs> thanks bye Next up, you'll hear my conversation with Justin Howell, where we cover how building a B2C customer-centric and intuitive financial services solution eventually led them to pivot to a B2B fintech infrastructure platform, why it's crucial to provide clients with seamless interoperability across banking, brokerage, and crypto capabilities in a single platform, thoughts from their fundraising experience and the importance of finding investors who support not just the vision of the company, but especially the team. All right. Well, Justin, welcome live from Vegas uh, at Money 2020. Great. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. As you can hear from my voice, yeah, we're in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been an intense, intense schedule. I'm sure yours has been even more intense than mine, uh, but I'm so glad we found a few minutes to chat. Listen, man, let's let's just dive into it. Let's hear the story. Let's hear your story and then the story of Rise. Sure. That sounds good. So uh, my name is Justin Howell. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Rise. Uh, and for those who don't know, Rise is an infrastructure, a fintech infrastructure platform. All the things that you need to build, launch, and scale financial products, particularly in the banking space, we've brought together in a single platform for you. Uh, and the story of Rise is uh, a little bit different. Um, we actually started life as a B2C fintech. My co-founder and I had a vision for a much more customer-centric and intuitive version of how financial services could work. We really wanted to solve the translation problem between this crazy, highly regulated industry that gets broken up into things like banking and brokerage and lending insurance and now crypto. But those verticals don't really map very well to how people think about and use money out in the real world. They don't see those distinctions, right? We wanted to solve that translation problem. And in many ways, the way that embedded finance is now starting to develop, where you can take the financial elements of things and really embed them in existing user experiences where they intuitively make sense. That's kind of how we thought things should work. Uh, but when we started Rise, we were early to the table here. You know, Embedded finance wasn't even a twinkle in anybody's eye. And what we understood were the consumer pain points, right? And so we started life on the consumer side, similar to maybe Plaid started on consumer before becoming B2B. Drive Wealth started on consumer before becoming B2B. Uh, similar for us, right? We built automated saving capabilities and investing and banking because we just envisioned a much more seamlessly integrated set of products and services. Because again, you know, for an end customer, this is all just money. Right? You don't really care how the engine works. You just want the car to go from point A to point B, right? And what we discovered in the course of that process was making these financial user experiences more intuitive was not just a simple UI UX problem. It was an infrastructure problem. 
we ended up having to build an immense amount of kind of the horizontal connective tissue, the service layer infrastructure that could take a much more intuitive way for building financial user experiences and mapping that down to, you know, what are the underlying regulated building blocks, different account types and payment rails and compliance schemes required to power all this stuff. And as we went and talked to a lot of other fintech builders, we discovered everybody was running into the same infrastructure problems, right? This is kind of like trying to build an internet and cloud before AWS came along. There you had to buy and manage all your own servers to get to market. In our world, you know, you got to find a bank to integrate against, a processor and innovate against. And then you didn't even realize that compliance was a thing when you started, right? Um, so we had to solve all those problems for ourselves. And we discovered what we had built for ourselves, particularly the ability to bridge across multiple verticals like banking and brokerage, was a much more elegant and flexible solution than anybody else had done to date. And so we pivoted the business from being a B2C builder ourselves to now being a B2B platform that supports other fintech builders around those core infrastructure elements so that you can get to market faster with less effort and better economics. It's one of the things really unique about us in the space is we've been in your shoes we know just how hard this stuff is, the problems you face right now, and in many cases, a lot of the problems that you can't even see coming around the corner yet. That is, I guess, a trend that I've seen in multiple instances of fintech companies, right? Uh, that you basically build a shadow company inside and then realize that's the main business, right? I, I think um, really good security. Yeah, I think that's very the, VGS. Very, very good, good security. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that. Very good security. <laughs> uh, then amount Avant, right? Yeah. And and the, it's just a, a long list. A pedal and Prism, you know. Yeah. So you had to obviously change your entire distribution strategy. Yeah, right? completely. And yeah. W- what are some of the I guess challenges of B two C versus B two B? Like maybe describe also your your client. Yeah. Well, so the, the kind of clients that are coming building against Rise today tend to be a mix of new build fintechs. So a variety of different flavors of, of new build neobanks and things like that. Not folks who are going and trying to compete head to head with Chime or something like that. I think I'd be surprised if another generalist neobank is really able to make it in this space. But people who are coming in with a specific vision for how do I serve a unique audience with the right set of financial products and experiences that really make sense to them, right? Whether it's college students or it's immigrants or what have you, right? And if you think about it, that makes a ton of sense. If you can build the right set of user experiences for a audience with specific needs, you should crush versus not only the old school guys, you know, the JP Morgans and the B of A's and stuff, but also the the more generalist guys like the chimes out there, if you can really nail that use case well. So that's a whole bunch of the folks who come and build against Rise. We're also seeing more and more stuff coming at us on uh, vertical SaaS embedded opportunities. So companies that have built a relationship with an existing audience, uh, obviously in many cases, a non-financial relationship, but where they're now seeing a very intuitive place where financial services comes in and plays a role there, right? Um, maybe they started with managing customers for an SMB or something like that. And the SMB is saying, hey, you guys are helping me manage a very important part of my business. You're managing my revenue right now, but I still have to use these other 10 products to manage the rest of my back office, could you maybe come in and do some of that stuff too for me? And in many cases, having an embedded store of value, a bank account there, uh, is an important piece of that. 
oftentimes to be a stepping stone to a, lot, a variety of other things that they want to do. So we're seeing a wide range and now also starting to see more and more you know, bigger fintechs and bigger non-financial companies wanting to come in and really explore what it means to embed financial services and what they're doing, particularly the kind of stuff that we do, which is the ability to, to start operating across multiple financial verticals, not just banking. Got it, got it. So maybe we have entrepreneurs who tune in and who love to listen in. Um, talk about your fundraising journey. I mean, you you recently had a had a big round announcement, yeah. But of course, you know that wasn't the the first one. So mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe talk about the the journey and you know some I guess, reflections on, on working with uh, VCs. Yeah, you know it 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 really is a journey. There's no question about it. We did just close our Series A uh, this past summer. We just announced it a couple of weeks ago in TechCrunch, which was great. Uh, we have more money in the bank than we we ever had before. It was about an eleven and a half million dollar round. But you know, prior to that was. The whole journey of, of Funding Rise has been that that kind of classic, you got to talk to everybody, right? Uh, this was, the, in some ways, the easiest round that we have ever done, and we still talk to a lot of people to get that done. Um, and, you know, I think one of the areas that we started Rise, what, seven years ago now or something like that, and it was really a process of just keeping head above water, being very conscious about every dollar that went out the door, and really finding people who supported not just the vision, but us as a team, right? Our ability to be resilient uh, and things and figuring that, you know, they may not have, have loved the first ideas of what we were doing, but they figured that we were the right team to go figure out where the actual prize was eventually going to be. And I think we've now been able to do that. So my advice on that would be, you know, take every meeting, right? Figure out the story well. And if you have the opportunity, if you're lucky enough to be in a position to choose who you work with, it's such a cliche in this space, but really try to find the ones who are, are backing you as an individual, you as a team, and are willing to step up and, and really provide some assistance. In many ways, we wouldn't be where we are today without, uh, we've had over the history of Rise, a series of investors who were willing to take, you know, stick their neck out uh, and make a bet when nobody else was. And they were the ones who, along with a lot of hard work, allowed us to get to the point where now we've got a seat at the table and have a real chance to to go do something that we think is pretty special. So I guess tell us about how you're going to use that money in the bank yeah. to power it into the future, right? To power rise into the future. So maybe talk about your your vision for the next few years of rise. Sure. Well, a lot of it is going to handle the growth that's coming at us right now. You know, the team is expanding very, very quickly. Uh, we've got more coming down the pike than we really have bandwidth to deal with right now. But we're also using that money to continue to execute a, a very aggressive product roadmap. You know, we're doubling down on the things that our customers tell us they care about, like faster to market. We released a developer toolkit this past summer that allows you to spin up an entire banking application, both the front and back end, in under 30 minutes now. And that's a process that used to take 18 to 24 months if you knew what you were doing and could take a lot longer if you didn't, right? We're bringing out unique products, uh, particularly with our ability to bridge across the banking and brokerage divide to do things like high yield and and things along those lines. Where we're building towards is what we think about as kind of self-service fintech across all of the major verticals of financial services. Again, we want go back to where we started, the mission for the company, the vision of making financial services simple and accessible to end customers has never changed. The way that we empower that has. Obviously, we now are in the picks and shovels business of providing the right tools that allow builders to create intuitive user experiences. And so we're building towards a vision for self-service fintech across all the major verticals of financial services, 
not just banking and brokerage, but lending, insurance, crypto is going to come into that world as well. Uh, the idea being that if you're building, you can just focus on the right user experience and seamlessly weave together capabilities across each of those verticals in the way that makes most sense to your end customers. And you know, some folks in the banking as a service world will talk about well, the ability to get people to share, you know, to to parity with Chime and things like that very quickly. From our perspective, that's still living in the kind of the fintech 1.0, very siloed world. What's much more interesting from our perspective is the kind of things that Cash App is doing now. How do you have seamless interoperability across banking capabilities, brokerage capabilities, crypto capabilities, and things like that? Not to go head-to-head with Cash App on, and, and create a super app, though certainly in some cases folks want to, but that interoperability across multiple verticals is really what end customers are looking for these days, both consumers and SMBs. And the companies that are going to do the best job of serving the needs of those end customers are ones who are therefore also looking for, I need to break down these distinctions that financial services has created and really just focus on the right experience for my customers. That's what's going to allow me to win. So that's where we're building towards as a company. Justin, before we let you go, you know we have an entrepreneur right here. So you know, let's uh, let's get some some entrepreneurial advice for those folks who are thinking of taking the leap, right? Mm-hmm. Who are maybe early in their journey, right? Mm-hmm. What would you tell uh, you know uh, to yourself seven years ago? I guess. Yeah, uh, it's definitely going to be harder uh, than than I thought it would be. It's been such a humbling experience, right? Uh, as a guy who came out of a background like private equity and hedge funds and building other companies, um, this has been a humbling process. I, I always tell other entrepreneurs, take this with a grain of salt. You know, I hate entrepreneurs who who have had success and we're we're still a long way from that and are looking back down from their point on high and saying, here's all the things I did correctly. We did so many things wrong, right? Um, so one is recognize you're going to do it wrong. Uh, the, the real journey is, can you recover from the things that you do wrong and not make the same mistakes too many times? We still have in some cases, right? And in my personal case, having the right person to do it with. Uh, my co-founder, Kirk, there's no way we're here without the ability to support each other. It's a lonely process to begin with and making sure that you've got the right person in the foxhole with you. I can't imagine building a company on my own, though I have friends who have done so very successfully. So that's why I say take it all with a grain of salt. This is my personal experience. And again, my personal you got to be passionate about what you're doing because it is going to be hard and there are going to be some dark moments and you got to have that thing that you can hang on to that, uh, that always brings you back to, no, this is worthwhile. We're building towards something that really matters. And, and as I said, I, I think that the thing that I'm maybe most proud of in the company is our vision of what we're looking to achieve has never actually changed, right? It always came back to thinking about this stuff through the eyes of the end customer. How do we make this crazy, complicated, convoluted stuff work and simple. And we've managed to maintain that vision while completely changing our role in solving that problem in there. And now we're in a much more interesting place that we never would have expected. Fascinating stuff. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to be watching very, very closely uh, all your future success. Well, again, thank you uh, for very much for having us here and, and congrats to your own success in building this podcast and the newsletter and everything else like that. Thank you. Love to see it from a fellow warden guy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to plug that in. Of course. <laughs> thank of you. Course. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed these two discussions with the great Christy Kim from Tomo Credit and Justin Howell from Rise. 
Stay tuned next week for more amazing conversations and leadership lessons. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the amazing editor, Rafael Ostria, for his great work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. <laughs>